Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with our friend of the podcast, Dick Foth, for another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our interview with Eric Cooper from The Stone Table and his book, Missional Marketplace. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. My joy, Aaron. It's good seeing your face. Those other people can't see your face, but I can see it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's getting older by the day, my face is. So anyway, um, Dick, got two <laughs> questions for you today. When it comes to abiding time, how do, your, how do you keep your time with Jesus fresh? Yeah, it was a really good question, and I read that. I, I was thinking um, what works in any relationship hmm. for keeping the relationship Fresh. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you if you look at the word fresh, what's the opposite of fresh? Well, it could be unfresh, it could be spoiled, it could be rotten, it could be, you know, whatever. Right. And I think the thing that keeps time with Jesus fresh is the same thing that keeps any relationship fresh. And that is staying current. Hmm. That that has to do with having a relationship with a God that I can't see who has sent his Holy spirit to be with me partner, if you will advocate for me and to inspire and to give ideas and words and thoughts nudges. Uh, the thing about staying fresh with God is understanding that it can be anytime, anywhere. Hmm. It can be when I'm um, shoveling snow. You know, I'm I'm looking at snow out here. Last night here in Colorado, it was minus nine degrees. Right, <laughs> spectacular blue day, and see, you know, it's not a lot of snow, five six inches, but it's a. Uh, but I'm glad I'm here in my study, looking out the window <laughs> at. It. But sure. whether I'm shoveling snow, or praying intensely with someone after a meeting. Or whether I'm riding in the car or hitting a golf ball or attempting to hit a golf ball or on a on a plane flying somewhere to, as we would say, do mission. Yeah. Uh, access is always there. Hmm. And if access is always there and he wants it, then it seems to me it's on me hmm. to uh, to to trigger that. You know, I I think that uh, Jesus is always speaking. What I know is that I'm not always listening. Hmm. And so I need to say to myself, hey, folks, listen up here. Yeah. Every day. Listen up. Look. Anyway, that's yeah. my answer. No, that's good. And do you have do you have people in your life, Dick, that help remind you to, hey, uh, as you said, folks, listen up? Or is that something you do just yourself? Oh, I think Ruth would do that. My wife, yeah. we're coming up on 60 years and we are, and you've heard me say this before on the program, we're total opposites, you know, in terms of personality. I'm an yeah. extreme extrovert and she is an introvert and that's not a bad word. Half the world, right. uh, you sure. know, actually think before they speak. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but, but she is, she is very disciplined. I, yeah. I'll, I'll walk into the, into our kitchen area and she'll be sitting at the table with the, the Bible open or mornings with Jesus, which is a, a, a guidepost uh, publication. Sure. And, uh, our daughter writes in it. So, you know, we, we tend to go yeah. there sometimes. And, 
And just that quiet presence is a trigger, always a reminder. Yeah, good deal. Next question, Dick. Um, What activities have you remarked as being vital in fostering intimacy with Jesus? Intimacy is a different is is a unique word, isn't it? Uh, Years years ago, there was a there was a book called The Intimate Marriage, and they defined intimacy as the degree of mutual need satisfaction people Mm -hmm. have. So if I apply that word to the relationship with a God I can't see, uh, how do I how do I get there? What what intimacy suggests knowledge. It suggests exchange of feelings. Mm. Um, uh, one of the things that that takes me there is uh, singing. Mm. And you don't have to be a good singer. I mean, you can be listening to this. You can't, can't carry a tune in the bucket, but you know, go out in the bush or you know, <laughs> in your car. People see people see in your car. They think you're strange, but it's all right. Uh, singing. It's it's interesting because scripture um, is characterized by by narrative and by singing. You say, really? Yeah, well, you know, you got the 150 songs that we call the Psalms, but you got 35, 40 other songs that express and speak to the character of God, whether it's in Colossians or the prologue to John or yeah. other places. Scholars say that there were tunes to that. Yeah. And what happens when you put a tune to something? Your brain is wired for narrative and for song. Hmm. That's why I like country songs. Yeah. Country songs tell stories. Sure. And, you know, their themes aren't always the greatest, but the point is <laughs> that, that there is, there is a, there's something about uh, being able to sing the truth about God, whether it's hmm. scripture songs or some great anthems or some little chorus that helps me with intimacy. Yeah. I feel it. Secondly, I think, uh, I think being, because this asks about what activities have you remarked as being vital in fostering intimacy? Again, finding a couple of other folks that you consider or you sense are intimate with them, ask them that question. You know, just ask them, you know. And the third thing is, I think, what's your goal in in wanting to be intimate with Jesus? Mm. I when I became president of the small college, oh my, 40-some years ago, they asked me what one of my goals was or what my goals were. And I said, you know, always always to have students find themselves in the kingdom of God, always to have them have tight relationships with people. And the third thing was that they could be practical mystics. And I define a practical mystic as someone who is two inches off the floor but not off the wall. <laughs> and, and by that means that, that there's a dimension to my life that's only accessible to me in the most high. Mm. And uh, that doesn't have to, it can infuse and dominate my life in the best sense, but it, but it makes my life better and bigger and larger and more inviting to other people. That's good. Good word. Dick, I, you know, I get to hang out with you a lot. And every time you, there's a new nugget every time. So anyway, amazing. So you're kind. really, really and enjoy it. Folks, I, I pay Aaron 
to be able to do this. You just need to know that, that he's getting a kickback. <laughs> that is not, you know, we know that's not the truth. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not true, but I just said it. Yeah. I lied to you. It's good word. <laughs> good word. Hey, we're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Eric Cooper um, from the Stone Table and uh, discuss Missional Marketplace and his love for the Great Commission. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have a new friend on the podcast with us, Eric Cooper. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's an honor to be here, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. We were just talking a little bit before I hit record that we got to know each other at a conference in South Africa and uh, just an opportunity. He, I got a copy of his book. He gave me a copy of his book. And um, yeah, it's uh, just great to be here today. Eric, for those that didn't get to have a wonderful Italian food with you um, in yeah. South Africa, could you just take a little bit of time and share about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am the president of an organization called the Stone Table. We're based here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, so I'm on the west side of of Indy, the great city where the the Indy 500 is held. So most people know where the Indy 500 is. Uh, but yeah, we're we're located here in uh, in Indianapolis, and so I have the honor of running uh, the Stone Table, um, which is. We, we say it's a global missions organization that is rooted in the marketplace. So we, you know, we actually started 30 years ago out of a, uh, a real estate company that uh, a real estate nonprofit organization that my father spearheaded along with a, a dear friend of ours uh, in the in the business world. But they basically started this real estate company to say, hey, how can we leverage the marketplace? to fund the global mission of God in the world. And so uh, we've been doing that. We still run the, the real estate company here. I'm part of uh, that team, but then the overflow, 50% of our profits from the real estate company go into the stone table and then go out to global missions through that. So we, we really have a, a marketplace and missions organization here. Uh, and that's what we do every day, uh, real estate, business, missions. Can you share, Eric, your your father, you said him and a friend, they had this passion for the Great Commission. Can you just share a little bit about kind of the genesis of that and, yeah, where this idea um, came from? Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of our other founding board members is a guy named Tim Shrout. Tim was, a, you know, 30 years ago, he was a young kind of up and coming real estate developer, really brilliant guy. I mean, just a brilliant guy. Uh, but we all went to the same church together. And so my dad had been kind of a, an entrepreneur. He had been in various businesses. He'd owned a bunch of nursing homes. He had been in the restaurant business, um, just had a knack for the marketplace. But we all grew up in this, this church that was, I, I say, obsessed with the Great Commission. <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, it wasn't, there, there couldn't be one Sunday, that one Sunday that would go by without you know, uh, you know, missionary in the, in the pulpit, or, you know, we had missions conventions and flag parades. And I mean, just like the, the whole life of the church, uh, you know, was built around global missions. And so that was kind of the, the ecosystem that we, that we existed in. And, uh, so, so Tim had, uh, been doing some research and had kind of discovered a program in the early 90s where nonprofits could get into the affordable housing business. And he had done tons of research on this, had built a whole model for it because his thought was, gosh, we could leverage some of these government programs, some of these grant programs 
to in essence build a real estate portfolio that would be aimed at funding great commission work. Sure. So uh, he approached my dad with the idea and uh, my dad said, Hey, I'm kind of in between opportunities right now. And uh, let, let me take and, and spearhead this thing. And that was 30 years ago. And yeah. um, so it's, uh, it's been a joy. You know, my dad was a, a preacher's kid, but never really felt a call into vocational ministry, sure. uh, but always had that kind of DNA, right? That, yeah. that DNA of ministry from the marketplace, even though he would never have really articulated it that way. And so, um, yeah, so it was just the collision of a great idea, kind of a brilliant idea and some guys that were just willing to say yes uh, and, and step out in obedience. That's so. amazing. And, you know, you hear, you know, I, we shared, we were talking a little bit about business when we had dinner together, but a lot of times when there's a transfer, you talked about your father and his friend, and then now you're leading the organization. Sometimes there can be some drift um, when you yeah. look at businesses or organizations and how have you, I mean, you, you love, you have a passion for the great commission there and there's not been that drift. Any wisdom for somebody that's listening in that, that yeah, might be in a similar place. Yeah, I, I guess a lot of prayer um, and, and a lot of articulation, right? Because I mean, the drift is, it, it is a concern, right? Yeah. And I mean, even in um, <laughs> naming our organization, the Stone Table on the mission side, the intent there was to build a gospel DNA uh, into the name, even itself. So for yeah. those of you who don't know, I mean, the Stone Table, it's an ode to Chronicles of Narnia. It's the location of Aslan's death and resurrection in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the intent of that name was really for future generations to have to grapple with, hey, are, are we staying true to the gospel? Are we staying true to gospel proclamation? Um, and so I, you know, I, I hope, I mean, the the board of CRF Affordable Housing and then what has now become the Stone Table, they approached me because they knew I had a background in business, but also kind of, you know, grew up in this same ecosystem. So I think the, the other side of that equation is just be very, very careful who you hand things off to in the sure. next generation. Um, you know, skill sets are important, but vision alignment is important. And what are the non-negotiables that you have to have in order for a leader to move into that position, right? So, good. I mean, if I was thinking about the next generation, obviously we want people you know, uh, on, on the real estate side, we want people who understand real estate. They understand how to run those businesses, right? Sure. But if they don't carry that that shared DNA for the Great Commission, I, I'm telling you, man, that we we could get off kilter really quickly because there's a lot of noble things you can even do sure. in the affordable housing business. A lot sure. of noble things you can do. But we were started to fund the the global mission of God in the world. Yeah. And so we need to make sure whoever even steps in behind me carries that, that passion. Yeah. That's so. amazing. Amazing. So I was got to read your book, uh, missional marketplace. And uh, one of the things that you touch on there in the book, I got a lot of questions, but one of the questions or the things that you shared about was the sac sacred, sacred, secular divide, man, I had trouble getting that out of there <laughs> and how it's impacting the, the Christian witness. Can you just unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, I mean this this idea of the sacred secular divide. I mean, really, it's a it's a form of ancient Gnosticism that has kind of permeated modern day uh, reality, right? I mean, the Gnostics believed that spirit was good and matter was evil, and so they they kind of split or bifurcated or partitioned 
aspects of life out, right? And so I think we've in essence kind of done that. But I also think it's it's really the default position of the human heart is is to kind of partition our uh, partition our lives out into these little buckets. Um, you know, I use the analogy of the old middle school lunch tray uh, in the book, right? You know, uh, the old middle school had the little pockets, you know, that kept all separate and your mashed potatoes went square and your, you know, your Salisbury half frozen pizza went in the big rectangle. Do that with our lives as well. We kind of see the workplace as this secular thing. And then, you know, our spiritual lives are reserved for, you know, church and worship. And I, I think, I, I think that has really created just a, a, a bad, there's a bad work theology, right? So we, we end up seeing our everyday work as a result of the fall instead of part of God's original design that has just been impacted by the fall, if that That's makes good. sense. Yeah, it's good. And so most uh, most believers I know, they get up and they go to work every day and they really have no, there's no connection for them between their everyday work, their everyday marketplace work and God's creative order and plan for his world. And so there's this sense of meaninglessness. There's this sense of disconnect. Um, but, you know, I always go back to Colossians 1, 19 and 20, you know, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God reconciled everything to himself he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth through means of christ's blood on the cross right so that means to me that this sacred secular divide is actually it's a it's a it's a it's a heresy it's a it's a false yeah. understanding that god owns it all and that our everyday work was intended to be part of god's kingdom work in the world that's good that's good. And then, you know, you, you mentioned it in there, the idea of meaningful work and just how important that is for, for our generation. Um, can you, yeah. Can you just, what do you mean by meaningful work and how does that, how does that play out in, in, in our everyday life? Yeah. And I, I guess I kind of want to be careful here because, you know, I, I have a job I love, right. I'm yeah. very, very fortunate to to get up and go do what I do every day. Uh, but it hasn't always been that way. You know, yeah. I remember my my first uh, job out of school, uh, I worked for a, a CPA firm and it was the most miserable existence of my life, right? <laughs> um, you know, and, and so uh, just to, to give you a little context, I know there are a lot of people out there with with jobs that uh, that that they struggle to find meaning in, right? But and, and, and really, I think human beings are, you know, meaning machines, right? We sure. long for purpose, right? Yep. And uh, you're right. You talked about this this current generation. I think the older generation, like my parents and my grandparents' generation, they found purpose and meaning in in duty, right? Like it was like you you do what you're supposed to do, right? That sure. was where their meaning and purpose is. And and I think in our modern times, um, you, you know, the younger generations they're they're just not going to settle for that, right? Whether whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I think when I'm talking about meaning and purpose. I'm talking about as believers, as followers of Jesus, reimagining our work through the lens of the gospel, right? And I even think back to my my early days, my early accounting job that I, I was referencing earlier. I, I wish that I would have had some kind of context to see how even, even a job that felt very meaningless to me was very purposeful when reimagined through the lens of the gospel. That's good. That, that every job, uh, great or small, is an opportunity for us to to honor God, to worship God, to love our neighbor, 
and uh, to be an expression in word and in deed of the kingdom of God in our everyday lives, yeah. right? Um, and obviously that's something that, you know, a lot of people would probably want to unpack in, in much more detail, but I think that is what I mean by meaningful work. I mean, work that is redeemed by the yeah. gospel that is seen through that kind of a gospel lens. And so I think we can find purpose in even some of the most meaning meaningless seeming jobs. Yeah if we see them through that lens, yeah, if that good. makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes a ton of sense. And I think it's the intentionality of it. And so obviously right. I think my first, one of my first jobs was making, um, you know, they have those places in the mall where they make a uh, cinnamon buns, a Cinnabon or something like that. Oh yeah. And uh, that was one of them, man, I, I ate a lot of calories and whatever. Um, <laughs> but, I, and then I, you know, I did roofing work and then I was a dishwasher oh. at a German restaurant. And then you know, I did a bunch of different things, but the reality of it was I didn't understand what you're talking about at that time. Right. But as I matured and I grew in, in my faith in Christ, the reality of just saying, God, you've placed me here for a reason and a purpose. And how can what how can I make an impact um in some things? Then I got into nursing and you know, some of the things you do in nursing, you think, what in the world? Um, how is this, you know, how is this uh, making an impact on anything? Um, but the reality of it is, um, I think it's what you're talking about is that meaningfulness is just you know, giving it to God and asking him to help help us walk in that process. And um, yeah, it's super, super important. And then you, you talk about a theology of work. And then you share about how some of people that have impacted you and and for people listening in, they're thinking theology of work. What in the world is a theology of work? Is there really even a theology uh, of work? And uh, honestly, before I got into my master, my MBA program, I didn't I didn't know there was a even such a thing as a theology of work. So, can you share just a little bit about how that has impacted you, your understanding of theology of work? Sure. You know, I, I think some of it for me. You know, I, I tell people I, I didn't grow up in a in, in a faith tradition that really talked about the marketplace. They talked about money, uh, which is good, right? Like so, right. so I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not down in that, right? Sure. Like I mean, that, that is a good thing for us to talk about. But really, work was a place where I guess we just went out and harvested, you know, these secular assets and dragged them back in and gave them to the work of the kingdom. That was basically the connection, <laughs> right? Like, and so, <laughs> no one ever talked to me about the the any kind of theology of the marketplace itself and why we go to work and how it fits into God's creative order. And so, uh, I mean, just quickly, I mean, my my background, I started out in the marketplace, um, then ended up taking an unexpected 12-year detour into full-time vocational ministry. I was on staff at a church. I planted a church. And then now I've kind of been back here in this real estate company slash missions organization you know, I'd say kind of the brackish water between, uh, you know, the the marketplace and and uh, full time vocational ministry. So I was confused, right? Like I, I my my brain was trying to put all this stuff together. And so ten years ago, when I started back here at CRF, and I went from pastoral ministry to real estate development and real estate management, I was I just had to work this stuff out for myself. Sure. And so I was trying to figure out like. How does my faith, which is the most defining thing for me in my life, how does it fit with, you know, collecting rent and fixing apartments and, you know, building apartments? And I, how does that all go together? So I just started devouring everything I could I could get on the subject. Right. And I mean, just a couple of books I would throw out there that were really formative to me. 
Uh, Tim Keller and Catherine Alsdorf wrote what I think is the masterclass on, on faith and work. It's called Every Good Endeavor, hmm. uh, which is just a fantastic book. And it probably shaped my early thoughts in this realm. And if you read my book, you'll see tons of quotes from Keller and 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 all of that in there from, from that book. Um, Oz Guinness wrote a book called The Call, which was hmm. very, very formative for me. Um, and, uh, Amy Sherman had a book called kingdom calling. Um, and then, uh, early on, uh, redeemer Prez, which is, uh, Tim Keller's church out in New York city. They hosted a couple of conferences with their center for faith and work. And I went out there and I'm hanging out with all these Northeast Presbyterians and here I am, you know, <laughs> Midwestern Pentecostal, right. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I felt really out of, out of place, Sure, but as I was hearing all these things articulated, I realized I wasn't, I wasn't hearing this dialogue in my tribe, yeah. you know, I, so I just began to kind of study and and talk about it. And then I realized that I was hitting a huge nerve totally by accident because I was just trying to work <laughs> this stuff out for myself. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd have friends that would ask me to fill in preach for them on Sundays. Cause they knew I'd been in full-time ministry and we would talk about faith in the marketplace and people were crying after the service because they had never, no one had ever given them a vernacular to put sure. those two things together before. Right. And so, yeah. um, so I, I would just say th those books and that, that, that experience and that process for me was very formative. Um, but really it was just trying to figure this stuff out for myself. Right. Like yeah. I, I had this passion for the gospel. I had this passion for global missions and I'm in the marketplace. I'm doing everyday marketplace work. Like, these things have to go together. And so sure. it was just me trying to reconcile it for myself. And is that something that once you studied it and you learned about it, you it became concrete? Or is that something that is continuing to develop as you work it out in, in your life? Oh, gosh, no. You know, I mean, I, I think we we have to be constant learners, right? Sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, you you know that. I mean, I, I've never met anybody that uh, that loves learning as much as you. I mean, I gave you my book on a Thursday and you emailed me on a Sunday and said you'd finished it already. Um, so that that's just crazy. But I think yeah. we, we need to be lifelong learners. Right. Um, sure. So I, I think for me, you know, Missional Marketplace was me just trying to articulate a foundation that hopefully we'll just continue to build on. Um, I'll probably go back and five years and go, oh gosh, you know, that chapter, I was such a moron. We need to go back and fix that. Right. And then there'll be uh new additions. So, yeah. well, I guess the reason I was asking the question is that sometimes, you know, people can listen in and they, you think they're trying to work it out themselves and they think, well, you know, Eric got it all figured out, but here I am three, four, five, six, ten 10 years down the road, still trying to work this out. I don't have the concrete answer yet. And I think some of the tension of walking in that struggle is is the value. Would you agree with that, or or am I going down a different wrong, wrong road? Uh, no, I think we have a tendency as humans to assume everybody else has everything figured out, right? <laughs> and I think that's kind of our, our our natural instinct. Well, they got it figured out, right? There's sure. something wrong with me. Right? Um, no, not not at all. I think we we part of our posture as believers. I, I yeah. think uh, Aaron is 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 a posture of humility, yeah. a po posture of dependence and trust. And so, you know, um, no, I, I, I think, um, I, I think it's more than okay to raise your hand and say, I still got a lot of, my hand is up right now. 
So yeah. good, good word. Good word. One of the things that I thought was interesting that you talked about in the book was the idea of greed and the greed is not a marketplace or business problem, but a worship, a worship problem. Could you, yeah. Can you just share about that? I thought, I thought this was fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, my, my friends at North Central University, my friend Bill Tibbetts, who's the dean of the College of Business and Technology there, a few years ago, he asked me to come up and speak in chapel. And he, he specifically asked me to speak on this subject of greed in the marketplace, right? And, um, you know, I, I mean, being in, in the role that I'm in, I, I've had to wrestle with that a little bit because I, I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody... I shouldn't say everybody, but 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 the business guy in popular culture is usually always the bad guy, yeah. like in, in the movies and the TV shows. Right. <laughs> like even in kids programs, you got you got Lord Business from the Lego movie. Uh, right. You got uh, Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob. You know, it's like the business guy always wants to you know tear down the kids playground and build some <laughs> polluting power plant. I mean, always the evil guy. Right. And then you you do though you look across the the gamut of of culture and you read the news and you realize well there's there's a reason for those caricatures right I mean there's plenty of examples <laughs> of people using business and finance and, and to exert power and you know to to just collect money and resources for themselves but I think there's this idea that the marketplace is where I go to extract value from you and keep it for me. And, mm, and I just good. never believed that, right? The marketplace is a place where we serve one another, where we add value to the lives yeah. of other people. So I never, I never could wrestle to the ground this fact that greed and business always, they just became synonymous with one mm. another. So when Bill asked me to speak up there, I, I went to, to the scripture and just started looking up greed and, and, you know, examples and all of that. And, and there's just, there's two verses. The apostle Paul lays it out in two books in, in Ephesians and in Colossians. Colossians. He says almost the exact same thing. He says, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God for a greedy person is an idolater hmm. worshiping the things of this world. That's Ephesians 5, 5. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And he says it again in Colossians 3, 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you and have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater hmm. worshiping the things of this world. And it hit me, right? Greed is not a business problem. It's a worship problem. Yeah. When, when, when we elevate anything to a place of primacy over God, then what we get is a distortion of its original design. Yeah. We get a distortion, right? And that's yeah. what greed is. It is wrong worship. It is taking the marketplace, which I believe is part of God's design for his creation, a place where we serve and add value and bring our gifts in, in, in a way that corporately together, we can raise the value for everyone else. That was God's design, I believe, for the marketplace. But it becomes distorted by sin. And, and now we, we see the marketplace as a place where we, we go to exert power, where we, we go to exert, you know, or to, to extract value, to hurt others, to push others down, to elevate ourselves, right? I mean, we see this in every sphere of life. Yeah. But that's when it really hit me, that greed... Greed is not a business problem. It manifests yeah. through business. Yeah. But greed is a, is a worship problem. It is elevating something above God in our lives. 
And that is the root of, of greed. Yeah. I appreciated it very much. It was, um, was one of the the points. Well, there was a lot of points in the book I pondered about, but that one, I just appreciated how you delineated it. And um, and just as you just unpacked there, a lot of times we do associate business and businessmen with the the you know the mean people that come in, and you know they're just yeah, and that is a common portrayal. But uh, I, I do appreciate your your sharing a different. Uh, perspective on that and the insight that it provides for us and uh, really, really appreciate it. Just want to pause for 30 seconds in the middle of this episode to share some exciting news about the book I published, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. It's available now on Amazon and audiobook, Kindle, and print form. And the book helps us recognize that our world is moving in a direction of an uncaring life and helps us reorient towards a caring life where those that are in our life feel valued, they feel known, they know that they belong, and they matter. The book, as I said, is, is a valuable resource and I believe will help change the trajectory of an uncaring world. It's available now on Amazon. When you also talk in the book about business's mission, I don't know if you could just share a little bit you know, about that um, business's mission, but then you also talk about job fakers, takers, and makers. Um, yeah. yeah. Could you just share a little bit about business's mission and then those, those three things, if, if it's possible. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just because of our, our position as mar- we're marketplace believers, our business was started for global missions for great commission work. Um, again, when we started exploring how we were uniquely positioned to move the Great Commission forward. Um, you know, I talked to guys like Greg Mundus with AGWM World Missions and and so many of our friends in in uh, in, in the mission sphere, and they were talking a lot about business as mission. You know, uh, which I don't. Everybody thinks it's some kind of new trendy thing, but really, it's been around forever. Right. And I mean, even if you go back to the early church, I mean, a lot of the early church a lot of early missions work was done by merchants going sure. from you know city to city trading their wares and they take the gospel with them yeah. when they go right it's true so uh I, I don't think it's anything new really but but we became passionate about this because we're marketplace believers right and and to begin to see how business as mission can be a tip of the spear opportunity to take the gospel where the gospel is not right you yeah. can't go to certain places around the world get missionary visas go to work at a Bible school, you know, a, a lot of the traditional ways that that missionaries have gone to various places I, on the frontier. I mean, you know, you, you can't always do that. Right. Yeah. And so um, but but we can plant businesses. We can start businesses. And and that's where this whole idea of job fakers, takers and makers kind of came. And and I really I, I got that initially from Dick Brogdon. And I think it's more of a it's more of a broad conversation in the business's mission space. Sure. I don't know if it's unique to Dick specifically, but but really that's different ways the marketplace has been used hmm. in global missions, right? So we talk about job fakers. Uh, it is just what 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 you say. Like you yeah. pretend you pretend to start a business, you pretend to have a job, you go <laughs> rent some space and you put a shingle out, um, but you don't. You're not really there, right? Doing business work. You're just pretending. Right. And you use it to get a visa, right? I mean, that's for for me. I mean, I know for most of our friends in the mission space, that is that is not the way we want to engage businesses' mission, right? right. I mean, for a number of reasons. Um, first, being that you're you're just lying, right? I mean, you're lying. <laughs> um, that basic you, uh, principle, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of puts puts us off on the wrong foot. 
<laughs> job takers, job takers is unique. And I mean, this is one I love to see with some of our young, you know, young people coming through business school or have a, a passion for business, but you know, you can take a job with a large company. I mean, in, in a strategic area around the world that needs the gospel, right? I mean, you know, I mean, oil and gas companies across, you know, the, the, uh, the Arab peninsula and various places, right? Like they yeah. need smart business people sure. and you can actually take a job in, in embed with a large global corporation and then be a part of a, a church planning team or be a part of strategic missions efforts in those parts of the world. That would be job takers. You're taking a job, yeah, but you're doing it strategically to get you into a place of the world that needs Jesus. Right. Yeah. And then, um, job makers. I mean, that is, uh, that is entrepreneurship. That is okay. going into a place and, and actually creating a business from scratch. We say job makers because you can, you make jobs even for local people. For sure. You're, you're going into a community saying, what is a need here? How can I solve it through a marketplace solution? How can I create economic vitality? Um, how can I hire locals? Right. You're trying to make, a business that ministers to a local community. And through that business, the gospel goes with you. Um, so again, this, this is not new. This is actually very, very old. It's been happening since the early days of the church. I think we're just kind of rediscovering it. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the comp, the ongoing conversation. And, um, and I appreciate the idea of just saying this is because there has been iterations, you know, we've been serving overseas for 20, 21, something like years. And you I have seen, I've seen kind of all three of those. And, um, and, uh, it's interesting to say, Hey, this is, this, this is what we're trying to do. This is the direction we're going for sure. For sure. Yeah. Biblical retirement. This is another <laughs> one. I, I don't think I've I've read too many books that have had this this discussion. Um, biblical retirement versus contrasting it with more of a corporate retirement mindset. Could you share about that for us? Yeah, um, you know it's interesting. Even as we're sitting here having this conversation, right up the hall is my seventy-eight-year-old father, who I can't get to retire. Um, he uh, he still comes to the office every day. He's like, what am I going to do, right? Like, I, I still have value to add. I still have things to pour in, right? But, but I think part of this, um, it's not just come from my my experience with my own father. It's come from just conversations with a number of my friends. Um, I I just don't think we see in Scripture anywhere this model that we have in the West, which is, I'm going to work. I'm going to work really hard for forty years. I'm going to uh, get, you know, develop my gifts. I'm going to pour into the marketplace and the economy so that at some point I can just shun all that and spend the latter half of my life only thinking about myself. Yeah. Um, now that's a, that's hyperbole, right? right. I mean, but, but in, in essence, this idea that we get to a finish line where we, we don't have to serve anything greater than ourselves anymore. Now, mm. the latter, the, the last years of my life are just all about mm. me. And, and some of that too comes from, you know, we're, we're in the real estate business. We have some senior housing and uh, there's some hilarious stories that come out of our senior apartments because, yeah. um, you know, you know, we had one, uh, one guy that got into an altercation with somebody else uh, over a bingo match. Um, and they were actually <laughs> throwing cookies at each other and had to be separated. Right. And, and you, you realize like the, these, you know, 80 some year old people, like the only thing they had to yeah. care about in their yeah. life was, was calling bingo. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And and so I guess what I want to clarify with this is we're I'm not talking about like you got to keep working your corporate sure. eight to five job until you keel over dead. That's right. that's not what we're talking about. But it's this this perspective of I was created to to add value and to pour out hmm. of my life and my gifts. And I there's no there's no expiration date on that. Sure. Right. Like it yeah. will shift and it will look different. Um, but when I look through scripture, I don't see this, this idea of Western retirement that we've seen that we, that we see and that we kind of live for sure. the closest. I think we, we see is with the Levites in the old Testament. It says that the Levites would serve until they were 50 years old. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, they would no longer serve in the traditional way that they had been serving, but they would stand guard. It said that okay. their job was to kind of stand guard. And I have this this mental picture of them kind of mentoring and standing guard and just making sure that the next generation was coming up well, right? They switched roles, but they didn't stop serving. That's good. And and I think that's important, right? So I'm not suggesting you can't slow down, that you can't leave normal employment. You can't play more golf. You can't hang out with your grandkids. I'm not suggesting any of that, right? There's nothing wrong about that. I am suggesting though, that the Bible never shows us a me focused ending to our lives. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Um, so makes, makes a ton of sense. And in the reality of it is, you know, when we only focus on ourselves, our world becomes very, very small. And yeah. um, if that idea of retirement is just, I'm going to retire or, and then I'm going to focus my life on me, it, our world becomes very, very small. And then we become, yeah. normally you have a small world, you become lonely. And one of the basic, you know, our basic human needs is we want to be known and um, not known because we want to be popular, but we want other people to know us. And it's really hard when our world becomes that small um, for us to be known. And um, I think at times, um, well, not maybe more than times, our Western idea of retirement actually works against us rather than than helping us and giving. And those when people arrive at that age, which I used to think, man, it's so far off, but I'm 46 now. And it doesn't seem that, you know what I mean? Because you figure, hey, you're moving that direction, Aaron. Um, you know, you realize, <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't want to just uh, fade into the sunset. You know, I want to continue to engage with the the natural well, talents, acquired abilities, and spiritual giftings that God is. One God of the um, one, one of the biggest challenges to me in that area is uh, I told you we grew up in this global missions church, but our our pastor that I grew up under, he's still alive. He's ninety eight years old. Um, uh, he he lives actually in an apartment complex not too far from my office here. He and his wife they're still married. Uh, still married. Wow. Uh, I think uh, he's ninety eight. She's ninety nine. But, you know, Pastor Tom, um, he had dinner at my in-laws house uh, back at Christmas, and he's still writing sermons. He's still trying to articulate a heart for missions. He's still talking to missionary friends and trying to help them strategize, right? I mean, and he's 98 years old, yeah. right? He's not going to an eight-to-five job, okay? Right. But but he's saying, how do I continue to pour yeah. out my life and my gifts yeah. For the sake of others and for the glory of Jesus. Yeah. So yeah. it's excellent. Yeah. One last one last question for you, then I'm gonna ask you to pray. And just this maybe yeah. to give some some thoughts on this. You added this quote in the book. Most people plot and plan their their way to mediocrity, while now and again someone forgets themselves into greatness. How does you know what's some reason you chose that that quote and how did how does that impact your life? Yeah. Um you know, he would hate for me to use him as an example here. Um, but I really was thinking about my own father when, when mm. I thought about that. Um, you know, my, my dad 30 years ago, um, uh, 
he had been a pretty successful businessman early, early in his life, been a pretty successful entrepreneur. Um, but he, he walked away from really any equity ownership. Our, our, our real estate company is a nonprofit, you know, no one owns it. It's owned by the, the cause, right? Like it, that's what it's owned by. Right. Yeah. And he walked away from all of that to build, to spend the last 30 years of his career, really building something that doesn't belong to him. Hmm. Um, and he would never talk about it. I guess that's my job. I'm probably robbing him of a blessing here, um, you know, in some way or another. But he he just got up and went to work every day and built assets for the kingdom. And I I, yeah. I always felt like he he forgot about himself. He forgot yeah. about putting an equity stake in the ground, and he just threw himself at a kingdom opportunity. Yeah. And you know, as you know, Aaron, I mean, the 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 kingdom is all upside down and backwards, right? Like yeah. we actually become great in the kingdom by becoming sure. less. Yeah. And so that's, I think, what resonated with me about that quote is, yeah. um, you know, we, we, we forget ourselves and we focus on Jesus. We forget ourselves and we focus on the mission of God. We forget ourselves and we focus on the great story that God has been writing, this great redemptive story. And maybe you look back in 30 years and you go, oh, my gosh, like, look what God did yeah. through yeah. me. Right. Yeah. I think you're writing a story like that, Aaron, yeah. you know, and, and I think we, we just have to encourage one another. We live in this performative society that, you know, we want clicks and likes and all of that. Right. Which, um, you know, I'm, I'm prone to that as well. Um, uh, but what if I've always thought like, what if I was obedient and incredibly successful and completely anonymous, hmm. right? Like, like, would I be satisfied Right. Yeah. Would I be satisfied knowing that Jesus was glorified hmm. if no one ever remembered my name? You know, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, the good news is we we, we know we serve a, a God who will always remember our name. Yeah. Right. So sure. we we don't have to worry about being forgotten uh, because he will never forget us. So good word. Good word. Yeah. Eric, will you pray for us? Whatever direction you like, just pray that God will yeah. use the wisdom and insight you've shared. We'll put link to your book in the show notes, and then I can put yeah. the books you referenced in the show notes too. Will you pray for us? Yeah. Lord, I thank you so much um, for the gospel. I thank you so much for the redemptive work of Jesus. Lord, this, this gap between us and you that was created by sin, Lord, you didn't look at us and say, hey, climb your way back up here. Uh, you said, no, let me come for you. I will come for you. And I thank you, Lord, that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And I thank you that that gospel redeems and resurrects all things, Lord, including marketplace work. And Lord, if there's people out here that are listening to this and they're, they're, they've got marketplace jobs and and they've wondered how does this how does this play a role in the kingdom of God? I just pray for a, a spirit of encouragement, a spirit of inquisitiveness, Lord, that you would begin to illuminate and mobilize marketplace people to understand that they are not kingdom B team, they're not great commission B team, but they are actually part of your redemptive plan for this world. Lord, may we all get focused on the global glory of Jesus in the world. Um, no matter what our vocation is, God, Lord, I thank you for pastors and I thank you for missionaries, Lord. I thank you for the unique and, and different ecclesiastical calls that you put on, on, on all of our lives. But Lord, I pray for those that are in the marketplace, that they would see themselves as called, that they would see themselves as purposed. And uh, God, that you would use every believer in every sphere of this life to see the name of Jesus glorified to every nation. In the
tribe and tongue. So Lord, encourage us. Um, Lord, just keep us grounded in you. Thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.